Amen. Glad, glad to have all of you here today. I wanted to give you a, a heads up again on a powerful event coming up. You remember last week I announced to you our night to invite that we are doing on April 3. All right, this is a brand new event. We've never done this before. And this is going to be amazing. This is going to be a great night. I believe God wants us to do this. Okay? Night to invite. We've got our guest. You saw it in the announcements earlier. Christopher Alam coming and is an evangelist to help us basically win the lost in our families, friends, neighbors, associates, kids, uh, Frank, uh, to win the lost. Uh, and so we're doing this special night to invite. Again, uh, April 3. We have plenty of these available. If you didn't get one by any chance, these are available on your way out. You can pick these up. Last week we handed them out, of course, so uh, one of them's the prayer card and the other one's an invite card. Use, use them to your advantage, um, whatever works best for you. Let me tell you my goal, though. Let me first tell you what it's not, okay? My goal is not to have a packed service full of Christians, all right? We'll have no, we'll have no problem having a full house on, it, on that night, it's going to be packed. So why do I tell you that? Um, don't invite your Christian friends. <laughs> you, you know, you've got friends that, you know, maybe go to other churches or something. Uh, don't tell them about this. Shh. If they see it on, you know, social media or something, they say, hey, that looks like a fun night. Can I come? Say no. 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 Stay away. Back off. Step away from the building. No. <laughs> Now, now listen, if they want to come and bring a lost person, then they'd, that'd be, that'd be uh, great. But again, it's not our goal to have. We're going to have a full house. That's, that's no challenge at all with our size of church. We want to win the lost. We want to make an impact. This is not a believer's meeting. Then I would say, bring all the believers. Yay. Uh, we want to invite people who, are, who need the Lord. All right? And if, you can, if they're really messed up, those are prime candidates. Their life is horrible really bad. That's where God shines. Amen. Amen. But here's the, you know, this card we gave you um, that has the three spots here for your, to pray for. We gave you the prayer points on here. I want to take a moment just to illustrate that and let's pray today uh, before we get into our, our, the rest of our service. Let's pray for our friends, family, relatives. You've got those names. If you've already done this, you do. If you haven't, giddy up. Uh, uh, and you can come up with them right now. But I want to lead you in a prayer. And this is t- typically how I will pray personally for lost people. Okay? And I will pray. So I want you to pray it with me today. All right? Let's pray it. We'll pray it out loud one after another. And then when I give the little gap, when I stop, then you go ahead and call out that name. You know, Bill, Amy, right? And, uh, wh- whoever that person is, you call out their name quietly or loud, however you want to, uh, before the Lord, and then I'll lead you in the rest of the prayer. Okay, everybody ready? Okay, let's do it. Here we go. Say it out loud with me. Say, Father, thank you for Jesus. He died on the cross for my sins, for the sins of the world. I thank you that you love everyone way more than I do. I'm not trying to convince you to save people. You've already done it. But I ask today that you would work in the lives of... Now you go ahead. All right. Praise God. Now, Satan, take your hands off them. I command the blinders to be removed from their eyes so the light 
of the gospel could shine on them. Father, I pray that you would, that you would send laborers across their paths, spirit-filled, love-filled, children of God who can represent you well and share the gospel with them. Send me as one of those laborers into their lives, I pray. And I also ask that the Holy Spirit would bring back to their remembrance scriptures, words from heaven that they have heard at any part in their life. Bring them back to their mind now. Hallelujah, hallelujah. And Father, we thank you today. All the glory, all the praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. And so that's just an example. That's how we, we pray. And what happens when we do that? Well, what's happening right now? Do you know that things just shifted in the Spirit right now as a result of our prayer? Angels are at work. God is arranging divine appointments and making connections. And scriptures are coming back. Some, someone who went to church when they were five years old and haven't been since. All of a sudden they're going, huh, huh I remember that. And all these things will transpire because someone stood in the gap and prayed for them to come to know the Lord. Now, the only downside to this is some of them might get saved before April 3. But it's not truly a downside, right? But that, that very well may happen. And if they don't, then here's the way we deal with it. Uh, we recognize that, um, uh, that people have a choice to make. So we pray... God moves, and the gospel comes to them. And if they say no, then we pray it again. And say, how do I know if they said no? Well, if you don't see that they, got, they came to the Lord and got saved, then you just keep praying that until they get so tired of hearing someone say Jesus loves you that they finally give in. Amen. All right, ready for some word? I've got another message for you today in my new series called Better Together. This is a, a marriage message, all right? So single, married, doesn't matter. I think everyone can benefit from it, but it, that's the subject of our discussion. And so I want to begin. If you have your, your scripture, your Bible, your Bible apps, go to Genesis chapter 2. Genesis chapter 2, and then I want to read to you, uh, first of all, about the guy who had Super Bowl tickets, all right? Because a man and his new wife, they made a pact to go to every Super Bowl together. Forty-three years they've been doing it, and then she died. She passed away. Uh, but the man continued their tradition, and he goes to the next Super Bowl. Another man sitting in the same row sees the empty seat next to, to him and asks, Why is this seat empty? This is the Super Bowl. The man replies, Well, it was my wife's seat but she passed away. The man asks, well, didn't you want to invite anyone else? Maybe some family? He responds, I did, but nobody would come with me. The other man remarks, man, that's tough. Your wife dies and, and they wouldn't come to the Super Bowl with you? What, what do they have to do? That was better. The man says, well, her funeral was today. Hallelujah. <laughs> and then let me give you this. This is uh, advice for men. Men, listen up real close. Advice for a man. If a woman asks if she looks fat, it's not enough to say no. All right? 
you must also act very surprised at the question and jump backwards if necessary. <laughs> Is that good advice? <laughs> Praise God. Genesis chapter 2. Genesis chapter 2 beginning in verse 18. And the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper comparable to him. Well, what did the Lord do? In response to it not being good, he brought a solution. You know he's still that way? If something is not good, he wants to make a way for it to become good in your life. So that's the overarching principle. He wants to make not good good. Yeah? Never give up. Never despair in the middle of a not good situation. You have a God who loves you. He is your creator. He is your father God. And he is making a way for good, for not good to become good. In this situation, he said, Adam needs help. <laughs> Adam needs, some, needs a companion. Adam needs someone comparable to him. Verse 19. Out of the ground the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every bird of the air and brought them to Adam to see what he would call them. And whatever Adam called each living creature, that was its name. So Adam gave names to all the cattle, to the birds of the air, to every beast of the field. But for Adam there was not found a helper comparable to him. So notice what God did here. And in order for this creation for life to go from not good to good, Adam need, needed someone, but he needed someone that was like him. He needed someone comparable, not opposite of him, but someone like him, not a different species, not a totally different type, someone comparable or like him, uh, not an opposite of him, someone like him. All right, comparable to him. I know sometimes we believe different things. You hear things enough, and individuals will say things like opposites attract, and uh, and that kind of thing. I'm not so sure if that's the best thing to say. I mean, I, I don't think that my wife and I are together because we're so different. I recognize we have differing gifts and talents, and and hopefully those are complementary. Right? Those make each of us more than we could be alone. But usually when people are totally different, they don't want to hang around each other. They want because they're not interested in the same things. And in large part, God began this with people who were comparable. We both eat, we both sleep, we both work, we both you know play, we we we, we laugh, we sing. There's so many things that are about us there that are the same. The same or the the the, the, the ways in which we are alike are the foundation for more or a foundation for happiness in marriage. All right? Too many times people will focus on the ways that they are different. They become magnified. And how many know if you stare at something long enough, everything else goes away? It's like that's the only thing. And people will focus on ways that they're different than their spouse. And after a, after a while, they say, well, we, don't just, we just don't have anything in common. I guess we've just grown apart. Well, maybe you've been focusing on the differences instead of the same things, instead of the agreements. Don't focus on the disagreements. I'll focus on the agreements. It's, it's kind of like in society, you often hear this. You hear this uh, said about our country. People will say, our strength is in our diversity, you know. Uh, 
Well, actually, that's not the case either. When you magnify diversity, you're minimizing the parts that we have in, in similarity or in agreement. And if ever we want to have, ever we want to be strong, we don't focus on how we're different, we focus on how we're the same. Everybody okay today? Uh, <laughs> amen. In other words, diversity isn't our strength, unity is. You see this in, in any organization that they're striving to get all their employees on the same page. You'll see companies creating, you know, vision statements and slogans and value lists, and they're trying, they're putting things on the wall. So everyone who works there, when they come to work, no matter what their background or what their differences are, when they come to work, they all are going after the same thing. They have the same lingo. They're saying the same thing to the customers. They're, they're reinforcing over and over and over again because what? There's power in unity. There's power in a bunch of people, no matter what their differences are, when they can do the same thing. Even our country. Again, some say, well, our strength is our diversity. No, it's not. It's not. We're the United States. The only way we stay united is if we focus on thing, ways in which we're the same. See, we have, in our country, we have people from all over the globe, right? All over the planet. But we've created this American culture. And it's to the degree that people adapt to what we, what we value. You know, freedom and, and prosperity and, and all, all these kind of things. We value that. To that degree, we're a strong country. All right? That's why some things are not as strong today as they used to be. There's so much division. So many people go in different directions. But within the marriage relationship, it's likewise the same. We need to identify and recognize in ways in which we are together. Why are we together in the first place? What in the world? Why did we even start this? And some people have forgotten they forgot what attracted them to their spouse. They've forgotten what their initial goals were, what their vision was for their life. And they're, they've got, gotten onto two separate paths. Whenever you have two people of different backgrounds, there's a little bit of a challenge getting together. But the more diverse the background is, it doesn't mean it can't work. It just means there's more of a challenge. If you had one person who came from uh, wealth and the other person was poor, Okay, they're going to have a different mentality about things. Uh, if you have one person who is highly educated and the other person who's not, well, there are some differences there that need to be, you know, dealt with. Uh, if one person likes spicy food and the other person does not, then you're going to have some challenges. And <clears throat> okay, it's not a huge challenge. <laughs> but jalapenos are from God. <laughs> Uh, if, uh, you know, if someone's even in our country, if they're from a different part of the country, there are, there are places in the deep south that have different upbringing than people say in the northwest. There are some cultural differences there. When you recognize them, it's not like we're going to magnify my way, my way, south is best, let them rise again. <laughs> we got a, our Texans, our resident Texans here. <laughs> To show us how to be respectful. <laughs> uh, and you got another group saying, no, this is the better way. Well, in a marriage, all these things present challenges that need to be overcome, especially if you got people coming from different cultures around the world. It doesn't mean it can't work, but it's like, giddy up. 
Put your seatbelt on because you're going to have to learn how to deal with the different aspects of life based on how you view it. All right. Let's, let's read some more here in uh, Genesis chapter 2, continuing in verse 21. 2.21, And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall on Adam. And he slept and he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh in his place. Then the rib which the Lord God had taken out of the man he made into a woman. And he brought her to the man. And Adam said, This is now bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they too shall become one flesh. And they were both naked, and the man, uh, the man and his wife, and were not ashamed. Now, you remember last week I was highlighting three particular words, and I said, I said those three words were, uh, remember, joined and one flesh, and what was the third one? And both. Good, good, good. Last week you said it was uh, naked. Um, Uh, But both, joined, one flesh, and both. Okay, these are words that define or describe what God is thinking when He said man and woman will come together and it'll be from go from not good to amazing. Okay? Uh, And this is one of the challenges we have. If I throw out the word marriage or married we all may have different ideas of what that means. And some of those ideas, uh, it's okay if we differ from one another. What we don't want to do is differ from the, or, the originator of this institution. The designer had something in mind, and he said it will take life from not good to very good. So I want to know what he was thinking when he uses these words so that I can have the same mentality concerning my wife, concerning my family, as God does. Okay, watch. In contrast to um, we all have learned at least something about marriage from our upbringing. Okay, if, if we grew up in a two-parent home and their love for each other was amazing and their commitment and respect and love for God, and ra- if it was amazing, we definitely have a leg up in life going into our own relationships. Okay, many people have a mixed bag of, of upbringing. And sometimes if, you know, your dad did not treat your mom the way God intended, we carry that into our own relationships unless it's interrupted with something like a teaching like this. And that's why we've got to be interrupted. Right? But we may have learned from our parents the right way. We may have learned the wrong way. We may have gone to school and they proclaimed it a certain way. But it might be wrong. Okay? We may have, you know, God forbid that we learn how, what marriage is like and what it means from Hollywood. But how many know many of us have learned because we watch TV and watch movies and those people are a mess. Right? I just don't want to, when I hear the word marriage, does it go to what? What's the picture? What's the definition? What's the description? What does it look like? Because whatever it's, I think it is, that's how I'm probably going to act. I'm going to try to act that out because that's marriage. But what if it's not? What if when God said it, He had something different in mind from, from what I have in mind? And so we all know it's more than a ceremony and a, cer- and a certificate. But you hear people saying things like, I mean, and I understand in the world, but if you hear a Christian say, well, marriage is hard. I want to say, well, what verse is that? Where did God promise that? 
Where, is it where the Lord said, you know, it's not good that man should be alone, but wait till I add a wife to him. <laughs> it's going to be not only not good, it's going to be not good and hard. Well, since he didn't say that, why do we think that? Well, I'm going off experience. Okay, but hey, your experience might be off. Or I'm going off of my parents. Or I'm going off of whatever. But that might be wrong, and that wrong thinking builds into our lives an expectation, man, this is going to be hard. Or some people say, ah, marriage doesn't work. Some really have totally given up on the whole idea and institution of marriage, and said marriage doesn't work. No, the Lord never said that. In fact, He said the opposite. So maybe what didn't work, and you attached the word marriage to it, was not. We've seen in recent years how people can mess with the definition of words like that. They changed the definition of, of a word marriage in our country and everything. That doesn't mean it really changed, though. We need to go back and say, what does the author of marriage, how does he, divi- de- how does he define it? What is it supposed to look like? What, what was in the original design? And if I can adapt to that, then I'm in a good place. It's kind of like Jesus. How many know if you say Jesus? Everybody think of Jesus. Well, I don't know what you're thinking. I know what I'm thinking. I say, Jesus, some people in the world, they have a different picture of that. You say Jesus, and they think of whatever they've been told about Jesus. You know, some have been told he's Lucifer's brother here in the Northwest, right? Some have been told, well, he was a teacher or a prophet or something like that. Well, that's not the Jesus I'm I'm representing. The, The Jesus I know, let me tell you about him. And I could have, we could have a long discussion because I know, I'll tell you about this Jesus, but just because someone else uses the word Jesus doesn't mean we're talking about the same thing. Some use his name as a cuss word, some use his name as a, as a, as a religion, and some use it in the sense of Savior and Lord, right? And so, again, we, got, we go back to this, we want to have the right definition of marriage. Let's go back to our words now, okay? The three words, but, and one of them is, is a double word. Uh, but I want to add one more to it, okay? Before we got to the word uh, joined, there was the word leave. This is God's description and definition of what marriage is. First thing he said, for this cause a man shall leave. So if there's no leaving in marriage, it's not what God planned. What do you mean leave? Leave father and mother. Here's one of the challenges that people face is they're too connected to their parents after they marry. Does that sound hard? Too connected, too close, too influenced. Too, the, the marriage is a, is a breaking point. Not breaking off the relationship. Not cutting off the wisdom that may come from it. Uh, not cutting off, you know, presents to, your, to their grandkids. <laughs> or whatever. But there is an element of leaving that is needed. In other words, sometimes you'll see a young couple, and they'll say, well, we're getting married. Great, awesome, excited for you. You know, where are you going to live? Well, finances are tight right now. We're still finishing school and doing these things, so we're going to live with, with our parents or with one, of, one or the other's parents. Ooh, hold on here, hold on here. That's not the Lord's design. You're going outside of His plan by doing that. Say, so, but we need to have the money. You might want to hold off on getting married then. Because one of the very first things he said about this relationship is that you would leave your parents. And if you're going to stay there with your parents, uh, that is opening the door 
for issues. Everybody okay? There needs to be a cutoff. Again, I'm not cutting off the relationship, but there needs to be some leaving. I looked that up in the Hebrew. You know what it meant? Leaving. (laughs) It meant move out. (laughs) It meant get away. Why? You have to establish your own life. You make your own decisions. Yeah? Uh, Sometimes, it's even if it's not in a physical sense, there can be a too heavy of an influence from a parent into their kid's life where, you know, maybe young husband and young wife are having some some disagreements and some arguments and and so young wife gets on the phone with her mom and i don't mean that's altogether a bad a bad move if you can get some wisdom there but gets on the phone with the mom every time there's a problem and telling on her husband well he did this and he did this and he did this that wrong move time to leave and it even can get worse when the mom doesn't doesn't handle it in the right way and she says, oh, why don't you just come over and stay, come home for the night and just let everything cool off? Oh, no, 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 that's not how you deal with that. You, mom, the, the mom needs to say, you know what, honey, you're married now. And so these situations are very real and you need to work through this with your husband. Good night. <laughs> I know we don't hang up the phone anymore. We push end, <laughs> but better illustration. Uh, but end the call. Go work it out. Call me in a few days. You know what I mean by that? The leaving is a key component to the marriage relationship, by God's definition. So I want to go with Him. The second word there is joined. Joined. I looked that up. That word in the Hebrew means to cling, to stick to. It means to stick, not only stick to, but stick with. To stay close. To cleave, to follow closely, or to catch. Okay? This is God's description. You leave father and mother, and you will stick to your spouse. You get very, very close to them. You never leave them. You stay close to them, and you follow them. Again, this is the mentality of doing life together. Not not just like this, (laughs) but like stuck together doing life together I recommend that you arrange your lives married folks arrange your lives so you can spend a lot of time together physically and mentally what do you mean I mean if you can sleep on the same schedule do that go to bed at the same time if you can eat at the same time then eat meals as many as you can eat them eat them together if you can do that uh, if you can come to church together, worship the Lord together. If there's something that needs prayer in your, your life, and uh, you can pray and agree together. In, in, there's so many things, if we would do them together, that's kind of the main point that God said when He described this relationship, is you go from doing things on your own, you know, father and mother, whatever, but you're, you're your own person, and all of a sudden, bam, now you're doing it with someone. Do life with them. Everybody okay? The next word was one flesh. One flesh, two words, you know, but one flesh. He said they'll be joined, they'll be one flesh, not two fleshes, one flesh. Now, one big part of what that means, everybody ready? That's the sexual union. That's the sexual relationship, okay? Say, so what did God have in mind when man and woman marry? That they would have a lot of sex. 
That is. That's just what he designed. That's what he planned. That, that was, it was his idea. It's not dirty. It's not, you know, unspeakable. We can't talk. No, 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 no. That, that was God's design. Here, here's what that means. If that's not happening, that opens the door for problems. I, I, one, one couple came to me. Well, one, one wife said to me, uh, she'd been married about five years. And she said, we haven't consummated yet. I thought, I thought, just like you thought right there. <laughs> I thought, yikes, that's a problem. That's not the way this is supposed to work. Now, sometimes there's obviously got to be reasons why that's going on, but that wasn't God's design. You know, another uh, a young man uh, several years ago, but I think he was probably about 30 years old, but he, he called me and was talking to me about his marriage and and, uh, and they, you know, they were doing okay, but he was greatly concerned about it. And you know what his concern was? He said, yeah, we do it about once a week. And that bugged, that bugged him. And, and he said, even then, she tries to get out of it sometimes. And he was greatly concerned. Why? That's not what marriage is. That's not what the Lord said. And, and, and so I talked to him about it and and, you know, we could, have, we could have the discussion. I said, but you really, you need to talk to your wife about this and ask her why. What's going on? Because I'm not talking anything about forcing people to do stuff, about manipulating anyone to do anything. I said, what, find out what's going on. What's the problem? Maybe it's a physical problem. Maybe it's an emotional issue. Maybe there's a disconnect somewhere. But you're right. That's not right. That's not the way it's supposed to be. This should be more frequent than that. Yeah, and I know you got people in the other ditch who were saying we need to slam a jam, you know, multiple times per day, and and people get in the ditch on the other side, and they're just kind of sex fiends, and and they watch too many. Well, any of it's too much, but they're watching stuff, they're watching porn and all this stuff, and trying to bring that into their relationship, and trying to make their spouse be what they. It's like, oh, that's the devil, man. That's inspired by lust, lust spirits. That's not going to help you. It's going to hurt you. Okay? But we're not talking about demanding anyone. We're talking about having a conversation, getting on the same page, and doing life together. But the Lord said, this is one big part. This is how I define, God speaking, I define marriage. The two will get together and, oh yeah, and do that a lot through your life. Hallelujah. I know some people are saying, I got it, keep preaching it. <laughs> and others are saying, move on, move on. <laughs> I got it a while ago. The last word was both. In this, in this list of words that stood out to me, the last word was both. Again, that goes to the concept that we are doing the same thing. Both of us, not one of us. They were both a certain way. You want to focus on how you are both doing things. It is when people think and believe and act as two instead of one that they fail. They may, they may be married, married, but they're not doing marriage. They're not doing it the way God intended. When do you do life together? Meaning, eat, sleep, talk, plan, date, spend save, worship, train the kids. When do you do it together? Because that's the goal. That's what God had in mind. 
Look at Ecclesiastes, if you would. I'm going to show you, show you this other passage over here. Uh, right turn, about the middle of the Bible, if you have the whole thing. Uh, Ecclesiastes chapter 4. And, and, and notice with me over here in verse 9. It's helpful if you can see these things for yourself. That's why we provide note page, note space and everything for you on the bulletins. Ecclesiastes chapter 4 and verse 9 reads, Two are better than one because they have a good reward for their labor. For if they fall, one will lift up his companion. But woe to him who is, what? Alone when he falls. For he has no one to help him up. Again, two lie down together. They will keep warm. But how can one be warm alone? Though one may be overpowered by another, two can withstand him. And a threefold cord is not quickly broken. Say it out loud with me. Say, two are better than one. Listen, if you're married here and your spouse is with you today, look at them and say this after me. Say, I am better with you. It reminded me of uh, this, this video this, from this movie. Uh, I want to show you this video clip real quick. Your life expectancy is like here. With me, it's here. Without me, here. With me, without me. With me, without me. <laughs> All right, if you're married and you're with your, you're with your spouse here today, uh, look at them again and ready. Tell them, tell them with me, <laughs> without me. <laughs> now, that's kind of selfish and self-serving, so let's do it another way. Now, look at them one more time, one more time, one more exercise for today. Set, look at them and tell them with you, without you. All right. Hey, listen, here's the more important thing is that you believe that. You believe that. You are better with them than you are without them. Two are better than one. Now watch. Two are better than one if two are doing it as one. If you've got two, they're going different directions in life, different thought patterns, different way of living, different goals, different dreams. Two, no, that's not better than one. Two, this way, is better than one. But must, you must, we must believe that about our spouses. Okay, now, final thing today. I want to just briefly touch on decision making. All right, decision making. Many decisions you make in life when you're married, they don't just affect you. I think that might be obvious, but too, too many times people are making, husbands are doing it, wives are doing it. They're making decisions on their own. They're making decisions not just on what they're going to eat or something trivial like that. They're making bigger decisions that have an impact on their spouse and even, even kids. And they're not involving each other. I don't think that's very smart. I, I don't think that's taking... One, it's rude. <laughs> but secondly, it's not taking full advantage of the gift that's there. Your spouse is a gift. They have, they have knowledge that you don't have. They have experience in ways that you don't have it. They have certain graces upon their life that you don't have. That's why you take a husband and a wife that will work together. You can see how we've just doubled ourselves. You had this gift, I had this, and now we have both. But there's wisdom, there's knowledge, there's insight. You ever been in a situation where one or the other saw something that the other didn't see? Maybe a red flag or 
think this is going to be right. And, and the other person didn't see it yet, but because you did it together, you avoided a big problem. This is an advantage we have if we take it by making decisions together. When you are one, decisions are made together. I know there are some situations where you can't agree. Okay, There are answers to that. Um, you can read Ephesians 5 and 1 Peter 3. There's a structure in marriage. There is a thing called submission and authority and, and, and so forth. But i got to tell you, uh, 99% of the decisions that we make, we make in marriage. Someone said, well, you're the, you're the man, you're the head of your house, you should make the decisions. Well, I don't think that most of the time that would be a smart move. If I've heard from God, yeah, that's one thing. But uh, most of the time, we do it together. That's wise, it's smart, it's respectful, and it's considerate of one another. Uh, let me give you an example from a, a verse. Um, you know the book of 1 Corinthians, a good uh, part, of that ver- part, part of that book was the Apostle Paul answering questions. He was doing Q&A, they had written him questions, and he was answering. One of the subjects the church there in Corinth brought up to Paul was about marriage. And so he answered some of their questions. Here's what he said in 1 Corinthians chapter 7 and verse 5, verse 4. He said, the wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. And likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. Well, that's interesting. How many know that throws out this, I'm my own person, I do whatever I want with my life and my body. And No, not if you're married. If you're married, your body belongs to your spouse. So I don't know if I like that. You should have stayed single. <laughs> but now that you're married, you might want to start thinking of this relationship like God does. Not getting your information from the world. Well, no one has control over me. Knock that off. That's wrong thinking. Your spouse, you've voluntarily, voluntarily given them a right to speak regarding what you do in your own body. Yeah. One guy told me, said my wife was on this trip with some of her friends. Uh, this little mini vacation that a couple girls, a couple of the wives did together. He said she came back from the trip and, and, and showed me this tattoo she got on her rear end while she was gone. I could tell by him telling me that he wasn't pleased. And she came back and told him about it or showed him. I said, do you have any pictures of that? No, I'm just... No. <laughs> uh, if you're going to ask me, I'm going to have to know what this is really about. No, I'm just... Uh, <laughs> she, uh, and she came back and whatever, showed him the tattoo, and she could see that he wasn't real excited about it. And she said to him, don't, well, don't, don't you like that? He said, no, I don't. And honestly, here's the deal. That wasn't very respectful of him why they're married her body is now his and likewise he shouldn't do it without her consent she shouldn't do it without his consent not something like that that's permanent you could probably get the nails done that'll grow out right (laughs) you know without consent or something like here's the point people are thinking like too i can do whatever i want but out of love and respect 
you make decisions, especially the bigger they are, the more it's necessary. You make decisions together, not just doing whatever you want. Or you had a whim one day when you were out with the girls and da-da-da, <laughs> got my name tattooed on my forehead, <laughs> whatever. <laughs> what other kind of decisions would you, would you think should be made together? How about jobs? Taking a job, that affects, that affects the relationship, the whole family. How about where you're going to live? about moving? One shouldn't just giddy up and make a decision. Hey, about this place in Oregon, we're moving. We are? Come on, man, that's going to hurt the relationship. You know, uh, you could say anything, any big purchase, anything that has a substantial dollar amount. Don't just do it. Talk. As believers, if it's a big thing, pray too. Make sure it's it's wise. But talk to your talk to your spouse. You know, vacations. Discuss them together. Where what are we going to do? How about holiday and family traditions? Well, I've just decided we're doing this at, at Christmas. We're going here and doing this, and uh, you know, whatever. Well, we're going to we're going to Aspen. We're doing a ski vacation at Christmas, and the, your spouse comes out and says, uh, no, we do Christmas with families. <laughs> Maybe that's like high on the list. We, oh, we do Christmas with the family. Well, you didn't make that decision together. you got to consider these big issues. Uh, even church, coming to church, obviously ought to be a, an issue of prayer. But you know, best case scenario, if both sp- husband and wife are believers, then you pray together about it. Where are we going to church? Right? Those decisions, because if you can do it together, that's God's design. If you're going different direction, it could be a, a vice in, in, in between. You know, committing th- to anything, volunteering for something. Well, I just volunteered to help at da-da-da-da-da. Well, when? Well, that's just every night for the next three months. Wrong. You can't make that decision on your own. Why? There's someone else involved. You just have impacted their life. So don't do it. Slow down. Whoa, horsey. (laughs) We're going to talk. We're going to pray. We're going to be considerate one of another because life is not about what we do alone. Some, they follow that pattern. They're making decisions alone. And then one day they come in, they say, because we've seen this happen, my spouse is filing for divorce. I said, what do you think? Well, I don't want to get divorced. But they do. They just made that decision all on their own, huh? Yeah, they've been doing that for years. They just do things on their own. It's all about them, whatever they want in the moment. And they've built a pattern into their lives, and, and there's no discussion. And all of a sudden, you know, the relationship is on the rocks. It's a very unique balance, what we're seeking here. But God's grace is on it. It's, the, it's the almost inconceivable. You know how it's hard sometimes to explain the Trinity? Father, Son, Holy Spirit being one? It's like, I get that, mostly, but I can't fully explain it. It's like, how are they three and yet one at the same time? This thing is, is similar to that. It's marriage. How are we two and one at the same time? And that's why this does take a little bit of energy. And, and okay, we've we got to know how we're going to make decisions going forward. Because we cannot do it as two. We have to do it as one. But it's the two becoming one that is the great mystery of Christ and the church. It's the great mystery of what makes um, a situation go from 
where God said not good to at the end of it. We didn't read that verse, but he said very good. He was very good. And I don't know about you, but I want very good. I don't want not good. I don't even really want good. I mean, how many people, you don't have to raise your hand. How many marriages, they may not say it's bad. They'll say it's okay. I think we should have a higher goal than that. And if you want it to be very good, God's grace is there to make it that way. It starts by adjusting our thinking. Think like one, think like one, think like one, so we do life together. That's the bottom line for, for today. Do life together. Don't do it apart. Amen.